Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk. And uh, I'm coming to you this week kind of with a, with a heavy heart. And you'll understand why uh, as we get into this. Uh, but I want to share about compromise. And I want to start in Judges 2, verses 1 through 3. And now the angel of Adonai came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, led you to the land I swore to your father, said, I will never break my covenant with you. You, for your part, verse 2, are not to make any covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but must tear down their altars. However, you have paid no attention to what I said. What is this you have done? This is why I also said I will not drive them out from before you, but they will be on your flanks and their gods will become a snare for you. Upon entering into the promised land, God gave Israel specific instructions. Do not submit to or engage in the abominable practices and ways of those whom you are removing from the land, the Canaanites. There was to be no compromise. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, said, When you enter the land Adonai, your God, is giving you, you're not to learn how to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There must not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through fire, a diviner, a soothsayer, an enchanter, or a sorcerer, a spellcaster, a consulter of ghosts or spirits, or a necromancer. For whoever does these things is detestable to Adonai, and because of these abominations, Adonai, your God, is driving them out ahead of you. You must be wholehearted. Tamim in the Hebrew, which means wholehearted, complete, undefiled, truthful, to have integrity, to be upright and sincere. You're to be tamim, wholehearted with Adonai, your God. For these nations which you're about to dispossess, Listen to soothsayers and diviners, but you, Adonai, your God, does not allow you to do this. You know, it's with great irony that this proved to be a challenge for Israel. It became a thorn in Israel's flank because they were not obedient to God regarding this very specific command. Not only were the Canaanites well-armed enough with formidable fortresses, their moral and religious practices were appealing to Israel. It was extremely familiar to how they had lived while enslaved in Egypt. It was a stronghold in their lives that was connected to familiar spirits. Rather than completely destroy them as they were commanded to do by God, Israel compromised. Judges 2 verse 2, you for your part are not to make any covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but must tear down their altars. However, you have paid no attention to what I said. What is this you have done? See, rather than destroying the idols and the idolaters, Israel compromised and succumbed to idol worship and followed the practices of the idolaters. This compromise became a stronghold for Israel, and in reality, remains so today for both Israel and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. When anyone, either Jew or Gentile, receives Yeshua as their sacrifice, war is declared upon the strongholds in their life. And what do I mean by this? These strongholds are the sinful behavior and attitudes that are firmly entrenched within your character. It's your shortcomings, your character flaws traits that we're tempted to establish a truce with, to compromise rather than tearing them down and completely destroying them as God commanded. Each and every one of us have these areas of compromise in our hearts, in our lives, and then these become areas of truces rather than obedience. And you know what I mean. These are the areas that God is working on in your life. These are areas that God is dealing with you about. And I'm using common vernacular. I'm using Christian slang here because these are the key words when we're talking about compromise. God doesn't deal with us. He commands and we do. God doesn't tell you to wrestle with things in your life and deal with them. He commands that you destroy them, tear them down, and remove them. 
Don't tell God that it's the way he made you, so deal with it. Your traits and behaviors are developed by you, not God. Angerness, bitterness, unforgiveness, gluttony, alcoholism, drug use, cigarettes, gambling, pornography, sex outside of marriage, disobedience, rebellion are all immoralities that are areas of compromise within us. And I share this with a heavy heart, as there have been many leaders in a greater body in the last 18 months that have fallen, that have either renounced their trust in Yeshua or had moral failures. Just a few days ago, a local megachurch pastor was arrested for attempting to solicit sex from a minor. His online communication, whom he thought was a 16-year-old girl, was actually a police detective. This is a pastor that I personally know, that I've ministered with in the past. Why does this happen? Why is it happening much more frequently these days, and not just to preachers or, or rabbis, but to many business leaders, military leaders, and politicians? I don't think, for the most part, pastors and leaders who fail morally set out to do so. They don't plan to fail. They didn't begin in leadership by hoping one day they had an affair or steal money or destroy their family or divide disillusion and ruin their congregation or cause a national scandal or even lose their soul. In the beginning, most pastors and leaders have excellent motives. Then something happens. The stress, the pressures, the loneliness, the difficulties, the complexities and burnout of ministry, they're real. And, and in this area of leadership coupled with an area of compromise in their character, with character flaws, this gives us a recipe for a perfect storm. Several areas here that I want to talk about as we go through this. First is isolation, vice community. Listen, sin begins in secret. Solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. When I travel in ministry, I go with my armor bearer. When I minister overseas, either Rabitzin goes with me or I take another ministry person, another man. Rabitzin and I share an app called Life360 that tracks our locations. We can both view 24-7 the other's location immediately. It's part of being transparent and accountable, a must for any leader, rabbi, or pastor. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, we get a base foundation for what leaders, congregation leaders, and listen, this isn't relegated to just myself as a Messianic rabbi or pastor. This is anybody who has any leadership position whatsoever. If you're a child of God, if you've received Yeshua as your substitute sacrifice, then all these traits apply to you no matter what you're doing or where you're doing it at. 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1, says, Here's a statement you can trust. Anyone aspiring to be a congregation leader is seeking worthwhile work. A congregation leader must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, orderly, hospitable, and able to teach. He must not drink excessively or get into fights. Rather, he must be kind and gentle. He must not be a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, having children who obey him with all proper respect. For if a man can't manage his own household, how will he be able to care for God's Messianic community? He must not be a new believer because he might become puffed up with pride and thus fall under the same judgment as did the adversary. Furthermore, he must be well regarded by outsiders so that he won't fall into disgrace and into the adversary's trap. What a great set of ethics for any leader. The last verse is critical so that we won't fall into disgrace and into the enemy's trap. So we know right off the bat, like I just said a few minutes ago, the enemy seeks our demise. Once you come into the kingdom, immediately there's a war that begins, and it's an internal conflict, a struggle between the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and that of the spirit. So we, we know the enemy seeking our demise. 
when leaders sin, or anyone for that matter, they desire the action. The flesh is craving. But few think about the consequences of their actions and their behaviors. Sin always has consequences. Let me say that again. Sin always has consequences, horrible consequences. There can be repentance, there can be healing, and even restoration, but it's never the same. You know, I think of King David with this, uh, with uh, killing Uriah and, and his affair with Bathsheba. He was never the same. He repented before God, but the sword never left his house. His life was full of zeros and tribulation for the rest of his life. Once you sin, listen, you, you can repent, and, and you can even possibly be restored, but it will never be the same. Keeping the consequences in mind is a healthy deterrent to sin. I can't imagine having to explain to Rabitzin, to our family, to our staff, our team, to the hundreds or even thousands here on our radio and, and, and social media ministry of those who trusted me, who listened to the words and, and were, were growing in the kingdom of God. I, I can't imagine having to stand before you all and say, I fell short and I betrayed your trust. I just would never want to betray the trust and love of the people I love, my mishpocha, and many others who could possibly even lose their trust and turn away from God because of a moral failure on my part. Listen, we have another good reference for leaders in Titus 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, A leader must be blameless, husband to one wife, with believing children who do not have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. For an overseer or someone entrusted with God's affairs must be blameless. He must not be self-willed or quick-tempered. He must not drink excessively, get into fights, or be greedy for dishonest gain. On the contrary, he must be hospitable, devoted to good, sober-mindedness, uprightness, holiness, and self-control. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that agrees with the doctrine, so that by his sound teaching, he'll be able to exhort and encourage and also to refuse those who speak against it. And so... we. You cannot compromise on Scripture, on ethics, on morality. As a person of God, listen, I've dedicated my life to serving the king. I've done this now for over 20 years. I cannot compromise on one command or one mitzvah. I cannot compromise on any of these that overlay the groundwork of what I need to be as a leader in the body of Messiah. Listen, another common issue that I routinely see and I've experienced it among leaders, especially in ministry. I've experienced it here in our own ministry, is the concept that the rules don't apply to me. They truly think and believe the rules don't apply to them. And this is why leaders, I believe, are failing more frequently than others today. When one thinks the rules don't apply or shouldn't apply to them, they'll ignore them, skirt them, and rewrite them or simply disobey. This is very, very dangerous. Leaders who avoid accountability will eventually have to give it an account for their actions and behavior when they're caught. And being caught, it's not if, it's when. It's inevitable. Accountability and transparency are vital core requirements of leadership. Quite often when you talk to leaders who are no longer in leadership, you realize that there were some serious issues in their marriage that they were either neglected or never resolved. Far too many leaders place their marriages, their families, on the altar of ministry sacrifice. Time, work, and love must be invested into your marriage. A failing marriage can create a vicious cycle. Since things aren't going well at home, now that person throws himself even harder into their work because they feel they can succeed here and then everything will be just okay. But this then makes the issues even worse. There must be time for your family, for your marriages, 
and not focusing on caving into the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 4, verses 21 through 24 says, if you really listened to him and were instructed about him, then you learned that says what is in Yeshua is truth. So then as far as your former way of life is concerned, you must strip off your old nature because your old nature is thoroughly rotted by its deceptive desires. See, this is why I talk so much about character when we do these Kadima talks, because character is something you can strive to improve. Character is something that you can do well in your life if you choose to do it. But all of us come with character flaws. We have to overcome them. We've got to strip this off, this old nature, because it's rotted by its deceptive desires. Verse 23 says, and you must let your spirits and minds keep being renewed and clothe yourselves with a new nature created to be godly, which expresses itself in the righteousness and holiness that flow from the truth. Listen, as leaders, rabbis, pastors, we must renew our spirits and minds daily. It's not easy, nor was it ever told to us that it would be easy. Areas of compromise will rise up when you are in a moment of weakness. You will succumb to it when you're off guard. This is often misunderstood in in, in godly living. The enemy isn't brazen enough to come at you in a full frontal assault. That'd be too easy. Temptation comes in an area of compromise in your life when you're down, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're stressed out, when you're close to being burnt out. We're to clothe ourselves with the one new man of Ephesians 2 and strip off the old nature and live a godly life. That is the truth of Yeshua's teaching. Listen, he said in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do what my Father in heaven wants. On that day, verse 22, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we expel demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Verse 23, Yeshua said, then I will tell them to their face, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Anomia, those without Torah. It comes back to obedience to God, to his word. As Yeshua said, notice the semantics used in Matthew 7. He said, didn't we perform many miracles in your name? They are giving credit to themselves, vice God, vice Yeshua. They compromise God's word and instructions. Compromise in Hebrew is pesha, which means to settle something intermediate between or blending the qualities of two different things together. A secondary meaning in the reputation is to, uh, in the Hebrew, is a hurt reputation. Compromise is an attempt to blend the things of the world with the things of God and an attempt to sully or hurt God's reputation. In 2 Kings 10, verses 28 through 31, thus Jehu, Jehu rid Israel of Baal. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nevat, by which he had led Israel into sin the gold calves that were in Bethel and Dan. Adonai said to Jehu, because you did well in accomplishing what is right from my perspective, you have done to the house of Ahab everything that was in my heart. Your descendants down to the fourth generation will sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu made no effort to live wholeheartedly according to the Torah of Adonai, the God of Israel, and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had led Israel into sin. Who is Jeroboam? Or Jeroboam, was given a word by the prophet Ahia in 2 Kings 11 that Jeroboam would rule 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is after Rehoboam, Solomon's son, uh, was a harsh ruler and actually split the kingdom. Jeroboam uh, was actually hiding in Egypt. He had fled there until Solomon died. 
And then when he came back, he was crowned king over Israel, which is the northern ten tribes. Well, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was crowned king over Judah and Jerusalem. Solomon had compromised and resulted in a divided kingdom. So what are the sins of Jeroboam that angered God so? Well, in 1 Kings 12, starting in verse 25, then Jeroboam built up Shechem in the hills of Ephraim and lived there. After that, he left and built up Penuel. Nevertheless, Jeroboam said to myself, now the, the rulership will return to the house of David. Verse 27, for if these people continue going up to offer sacrifices in the house of Adonai in Jerusalem, their hearts will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. Then they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. After seeking advice, the king made two calves of gold and said to the people, you have been going up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The same exact statement Aaron said when Moses confronted him about making the golden calf. This is exactly what he said to the people who stripped off their nose rings and earrings and he made this idol. Verse 29, Jeroboam placed one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And the affairs became a sin for the people who went to worship before the one in Bethel and the one to Dan to worship the other. He also set up temples in the high places and made Kohanim from among all the people, even though they were not descended from Levi. Jeroboam instituted a festival in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, similar to the festival held in Judah. So th this was Sukkot. Hmm. He went up to the altar in Bethel to sacrifice of the calves he had made, and, uh, and he placed in Bethel the Kohanim he had appointed for the high places. So Jeroboam had made his own religion so the people wouldn't turn back to Jerusalem. And what's changed from then till today? Hmm, little. Almost all religion today is designed to woo you away from Jerusalem and God. Even though Jehu slaughtered Jezebel and the priests of Baal, he didn't turn away from the compromised religion that Jeroboam made up. You can't be holy and right with God while practicing the sins of Jeroboam. King after king of Israel is mentioned as doing evil in the Lord's perspective and doing the same sins of Jeroboam. Listen, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Therefore Adonai says, Go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't even touch what is unclean. Then I myself will receive you. In fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says Adonai Seva Oat. Now, I don't do this too often, but I want to read this passage again from the message translation because it's really powerful. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 in the message translation. So leave the corruption and compromise. Let me say that again. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. Paul here is quoting from Isaiah 52, 11, where God is telling Israel to come out of Babylon, like Revelation 18, verse 4. When I heard another voice out of heaven say, my people come out of her so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not be infected by her plagues, telling us to come out of Babylon. Sound familiar? We're not to be part of the problem. Areas of compromise become strongholds. Strongholds result in sin. Going back to Judges 2, look what compromise led to in verses 11 and 13. When the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective and served the Baalim, they abandoned Adonai, the god of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, selected from the gods of the peoples around them and worshipped them. This made Adonai angry. They abandoned Adonai and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. God is moving among us not to elevate us above others, but to reveal a sign, a nest, a miracle to turn people back from the sins of Jeroboam and the false altars of Shamron back to the true living God of Israel. 
So many kings of Israel would do right in the eyes of the Lord, but they wouldn't take the next step to tear down the high places, the Asherah, the poles, the sun worshiper idols. It's not enough that you as an individual live right according to God. You must be influential and change the world around you. When the pattern is right, the glory falls. When it's out of order, judgment occurs. There can be no compromise, no truce with, with immorality, the occult, same-sex marriage, even with false religions or sin in general. There cannot be compromise or it will result in a moral failure. I, I pray that this word sinks in today as I share it with a heavy heart. Because when we have a moral failure in the kingdom, we all get a black eye over this. Because the unbelieving world says, see, that's what those believers really are. The reality is they don't understand that all flesh is sinful. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And that as leaders, we must be transparent and accountable. Don't allow compromise to bring a failure in your life. Think of the consequences. Ms. Polcha, I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. Keep up the good fight. Stay strong. God bless.